you are listening to an episode of the Technology Consulting Series on Design Talk. Uh, hi, my name's Cal. Hi, I'm Kunal. And our guests today are from GS1 Ireland. Uh, can we start by introducing ourselves and give a short overview of GS1? My name is Siobhan Duggan, Director excuse me, of Innovation and Healthcare with GS1 Ireland. Very briefly, GS1, if you're not familiar with it, you are, because every day you interact with barcodes. So we're a global standards organisation, and we licence globally unique numbers. So I was looking around the room for a barcode, so you can see over here, there's a, there's a tub of, um, of cloths. On that, there's a barcode. That's, that's a globally unique number. So we represent the Irish part of that organisation. And I know the topic today is, is consulting. We are primarily a standards organisation, but we also do have experts and advisory, and we've built up a competence around prototyping software and with developing concepts. So we'll, we'll talk more about that shortly. So um, my name's Amanda Crean, and I'm the healthcare manager at GS1 Ireland. Um, so just to add a bit to what Siobhan has said, um, like if you think about barcodes, how would you do your shopping without a barcode? So, you know, if we look to healthcare, then like there's a huge opportunity and I hope we can display that a little bit to you all today, um, as well as give you an insight as to how we um, applied some kind of project management tools and best methods of consulting in the TrackFacts project. Oh, thank you. Um, so could you start by uh, telling us about the project you took part in to keep track of COVID-19 vaccines for Ireland's national health system? Yeah, so I, so GS1, we've been around for nearly 50 years. So supporting retail, as you can, as Amanda mentioned, you know, the efficiencies that retail have, you know, you can imagine how inefficient would it be to, to, to bring your, your basket when you're in a rush to the, to, to the checkout. I mean, if you were having to key in all the prices, that could be very, very labour intensive. A lot of the learnings that we've t had from retail have been taken into healthcare and have evolved. There's regulation now in place that um, says that all prescription medicines must have a, a 2D barcode. So there's different types of barcodes. You might be familiar with them. And that just means there's more information. So you've got the, the unique identifier that we license, but also we, we, we um, give guidance on the standards to how the rest of the information, like batch expiry, can be included. When it came to the rollout of the COVID vaccine, we knew this had to be done fast and it had to be done safely. And we had been working with the HSE, our national health service here, the National Immunisation Office to I suppose, design in barcode scanning. So we said to them, look, we're here, we have the expertise, we can support. And we got involved in advising them on, on, on how to I suppose, include a barcoded label. And before we knew it, it wasn't just advice. We, we actually got involved in, in doing software as well. So we'll maybe go into that uh, shortly. So is the TrackWax initiative unique or was it simply an accelerated version of the kinds of project that GS1 works on all the time for its members? Yeah, I, I, yeah so, so I suppose... Um, the, as I mentioned there a moment ago, so we were advising the HSC on, you know, la barcoded labels. So we went in very much listening, you know, to what do they need, they, they needed. And also there's a lot of things, I suppose we became intimately familiar with the, the vaccine and um, it changes expiry date. So we, they needed a new barcode label for that. So we got very involved in, in that bit. And then the software provider they had chosen for the vaccination record, the, the whole administration of the vaccine, the scheduling and the consent of patients was supposed to be able to do the, the barcode scanning bit as well. But actually, there were so many other priorities that they couldn't get to it. So the health service said, look, could you help us print the label? 
And if you're going to print a label, you need to track it. And, and then, so it evolved into becoming, I suppose, a, a national tracking system to track the COVID vaccine. Um, so, and then we, we then ultimately branded that the, 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 the track, track facts. Um, would you like to comment now, Amanda? Yes, yeah, so um, I suppose just as to um, whether it's a, a unique initiative or an accelerated version of what um, GS1 already do. So I suppose, as Siobhan mentioned, GS1, we've been heavily involved in advising the health service. If you look on our website, gs1ie.org forward slash healthcare, you'll be able to see um, various case studies there where um, we've been involved from, say, an advisory capacity to projects like, say, the uh, National Instrument Track and Trace Programme to where we have developed softwares um, for, say, for instance, Temple Street to track the infant feed, uh, special infant feeds for um, patients within Temple Street. But... I suppose the project itself, it was unique in terms of the scale, the, the speed at which we had to deliver our involvement, our involvement in the project, in the decision making, I suppose, in the advisory capacity and in the development and rollout of the software as well. Um, I suppose we didn't come to this brand new to all of this. We had built up a competency and an expertise in prototyping, you know, the, the concept of MVP, minimum viable product, working and listening to what the needs are. So we had done some of this, we had demonstrated, we had a proven track record and we had a long history of track and trace and advising traceability in Ireland and, and other countries as well. But I suppose everything came together and this was, I mean, a, a project at a scale we, we, we've never known before. So we have had a lot of learnings and we can talk to that shortly. And uh, we were wondering, how did you get buy-in from key actors and stakeholders? Yeah, so this is always the, the really tough one. And for anybody that understands or has some insight into public sector, you know, it's not as simple. You know, if you go to a private organization, there, there's, you know, it's, there's a very, it's a much flatter decision making process. They've got a budget. They either want to do it or not. They don't have to go through so many decision steps to, to get the buy-ins. And particularly in health, you've got, it's, it's, it's always the patient. It's always patient safety. And it's the clinical people. They're the people who have the most power and the most say. So we worked very closely with the pharmacists and they could see they were going to the different sites and seeing the COVID vaccinations happening and they could see that everything was very paper based. There were paper, as was, uh, paper vial labels being handwritten. And so you're relying on somebody to, to get it right and someone to read it right. Um, so there's a huge risk for error. And they were really concerned. This had to be done fast and they could see the potential risks. So we worked very closely with the pharmacists. They then had to go internally and work very closely to, to I suppose, present the business case. And there were lots of other competing priorities. But I suppose, you know, in a pandemic, everyone wants to row together. Everyone wants to work and support. And there was also, I suppose, funding available to support you know, whatever needs to get done to do it safely and quickly. So um, I suppose it was a little bit easier maybe than in other cases because some of the walls were gone, you know, some of the barriers were gone because there was COVID funding available to make this happen. But we still have to work closely with the clinical people and also with all stakeholders because there, there was a huge input from ICT and they were also very busy doing other things. So we had to work with them and assure them that this wasn't going to be a huge extra bit of work for them that we could help and we could we could be there and advise and support and we got involved in lots of trainings to make sure that people were, were ready to support so there was a lot of a huge stakeholder group that we had to work with and fortunately we, we, we got it over the line 
Yeah, no, I suppose just that's a good point on the buy-in from the ICT um, department is particularly important because while you might have a solution that's great and works well, there is a necessity for hardware, for the rollout of that solution, for the onboarding training of people, if there's any issues to log support calls. So we had a huge amount of learnings in that, in um, you know developing a ticketing system for any issues that arose on the sites. Um, and really kind of streamlining that onboarding process as well, um, having a really well-documented process that could be repeated because we're rolling this out to over 40 sites, so um, it was just really important to have something that was repeatable and, you know... Yeah, and I think as well, you know, it's, it's easy to think this all happened very nicely and smoothly and we knew exactly what to do next. You know, in last January, this software didn't exist... Within three months, we had a version ready to go to test in the live environment. And we got it rolled out to, I think, over 25, 30 sites in the first month, two months. And then cyber attack happened in May. So, you know, had we missed that window, I don't think we'd have got business case over the line. So it was all about timing. And we, I think, again, you know, if, if you're going into a project, it's, you know, have a professional presentation as well. We always followed up. We, we, we you know, followed the actions we had. You know, the, 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 the HSE took on a very good project manager to follow everything. And we always delivered and made sure we delivered on what we would say. And we, you know, set expectations. And I think it's very important there. So the feedback was always, you know, we were a great organization to work with because we collaborated and we were very helpful and supported and, and did what we were asked to do. And I suppose just on to that, just the importance at the start of a project of having the project initiation document documented and having the scope of the document laid out so you know obviously there will be there was it was a very dynamic project a lot of changes were involved but really to kind of manage those expectations so that we could deliver on what we said um so you mentioned a lot of stakeholders so is this kind of cooperation only feasible when there's a central government actor like hse in this case or the nio the national immunization office I think that's a great question. It actually came up last week. My, myself and Amanda went to London on St. Patrick's Day to present at our GS1 UK annual conference. And we were asked to tell the story of, of track facts and the work we did. And some of, the, some of the people, were, particularly the pharmacists, were really interested to know how did we do it? And one of the things that they could see the big difference, obviously Ireland is a small country, but we also have um, a, a national approach in many areas. And I think that was certainly the key to getting this done so quickly. Um, in the UK, it, it's, it's more, I suppose, you know, regional trust-based. So, the, you know, to get decisions, you know, a national mandate out takes much longer. And they even said, you know, they, they couldn't have done what we did in, in the short space of time because it would have, you know, there would have been way too many people to filter through to. So I think definitely part of this was having the national approach. And we already had a very well-established relationship with the NIO. So that really helped, um, you know, I suppose, speed up. And we had the relationships with, with pharmacists. So... That really helps speed up the, the, the process. And uh, where do you see GS1 fitting into the uh, technology adoption cycle of its member companies? Yeah, so I think this is a really good question as well. And um, I think the key takeaway is that it's so important to design in traceability well, standards and in our case, traceability standards from the start. So like even if we take, you know, 
if you're doing a project, if it's proprietary numbering that you're using, it can cause issues then, like, you know, health is the whole aim in the health system now is to be interoperable to, you know, there's so much interaction between systems. So by using a standard, so GS1 standards for traceability and using the unique method of identification, you know, to know that a number says, I am a patient, I am a product, um, you know, whereas if you're just scanning a barcode with a proprietary number, it doesn't know what it is if it goes to talk to another system. So I think that's really the key takeaway. And I suppose onto that as well, where GS1 fits in, um, it's the education of software providers on how they can design in traceability standards, providing information on, you know, even just simple toolkits for those of you who are involved in software development. If you're ever designing a software which is involved with barcode scanning, come talk to us. We can give you test barcode kits to make sure if you are implementing scanning that it's uh, compliant to GS1 standards. And I suppose then onto our own in-house capabilities, it's providing that prototyping minimum viable product to um, really demonstrate the value of traceability, GS1 traceability standards. I really like that question because it does kind of ask the question, well, where, where does GS1 fit? What's our role? And I suppose we are very much at the very early stages, even before people know they're going to go there. We're, we're there listening, advising. And we found now a lot of the big consultancy firms are coming to us for that kind of expertise. Like we have a niche expertise. We're, we're not going to be ever be a huge consulting house or a big software developer, but we have a niche expertise that we can, we can, we can actually feed into bigger projects. And in fact, an example of that is the, the HSC also came to us. In fact, it was Deloitte came to us to ask us to help them in designing the tracking of the COVID tests. So the, all the PCR tests are going from the sites, the test sites to the laboratories. They, they designed a really nice software to track all of that. And it was, you know, again, goes back to giving data back as to what's happening, you know, what, 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 how many tests are being done, you know, keeping track of all those tests. So we, we actually, in fact, Amanda was involved in actually um, printing the barcodes to track all of those tests. So, you know, that, that collaboration with, with, you know, whoever it is, be it, be it the, the member, the, the, the health service, or even some of the consulting companies and some of the software companies as well. So I think we see us hopefully doing a lot more of that because there's definitely a big need to design in those standards. So how do you answer the question of uh, using standards-based technology for competitive advantage uh, versus technology for everyone's benefit? There's, there, there used to be an old school of thought that if you lock somebody in to proprietary, you own the market. But actually, I think now the whole revolution of you know, open source and you know, if you open it up, and you're, you, you can get systems talking to each other. In fact, everyone has a much bigger piece of the pie. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, and in fact, an example of that is a software solution provider came to us a few years ago. He was designing a, a tracking system to track all the life jackets and oxygen bottles on aircraft. And as you can imagine, the airline industry is very regulated, very standards-based, but there was no standard for the tracking of these items. So he worked with GS1 to get a standard ratified so that he would invest in designing and then anyone else that would come after would 
would have a standard to, to work to rather than him building a proprietary standard that would ultimately lock in and reduce the opportunity in the market. So I think, you know, I think whatever standard it is, but particularly now this traceability, you know, health, health systems are old, they're being replaced and they need to be able to talk to each other and the traceability standard enables that a lot of the time. Unique identification, you know, we've done a lot of work with, with health service here and even setting up the, the tracking of the COVID vaccine, the identification of locations became a critical point because they had to know where, where is the vaccine going and we had already worked with them to identify all the locations using GS1 global location numbers so that we start to see the dots joining up even within the health service. So yes, I think it is definitely a, a fantastic competitive advantage. Uh, of course, there's an extra cost, you know, to, to, to design in the standards, but, you know, do it right, do it early. And, and that really, you know, really future, future proofs the investment as well. I think um, you said it well there, Siobhan. I suppose the key word for me is the interoperability for systems to be able to talk to each other. And, you know, it's moved on from that kind of thinking of proprietary locking people in to your system. It's really about that interoperable piece. And uh, the pace of the project was unbelievably fast. What tools did you use to keep track of milestones, uh, software changes and actions? Yes, so um, I suppose as Siobhan said earlier, we had a really good project manager as a part of the team. And I suppose the methodologies that we would have used then would have been your kind of traditional techniques like agile or um, traditional project management methods. So having, you know, regular kind of huddles together um, when we were in the onboarding um, stage. We were having daily check-ins, even if it was only for 10 minutes, just to, and this is all remote as well. So, um, you know, it worked extremely, like, smoothly, I think, um, obviously with hiccups. I suppose, um, yeah, using, like, you know, keeping track of actions, action logs, really, like, the project manager was following up on those actions, making sure that they were closed, you know, like all those traditional project management methods, um, having due dates, etc. Um, I think, as I said earlier, one of the really good things that we had um, set up was that onboarding document for sites to be able to communicate to them easily kind of what they needed to have ready before they were onboarded. You know, there was various information that we needed to capture. And again, back to standards, having that standardized form, you know, made it a lot easier to manage that everything was coming in the same format and we were able to record it easily. Um, Siobhan, I don't know if yeah. you have something to add there. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. I mean, everything was happening so quickly. Like we had to kind of, as we, as we did something, we would you know, agree, well, what was the, what is the approach? And we standardise it and that, that becomes the process. So this, as we said, was very much a collaboration with the HSE. It wasn't GS1 on their own. And um, so what, what really helped was the HSE appointed, I suppose, an independent project manager. And from a governance perspective, that was really good because it was meant somebody else was managing everything and was also reporting back to the NIO on progress. And that facilitated then reporting back into the governance group as well. Um, and so he had tools. We also did a lot of process maps at the start. And that was part of the bigger project design as well, so that you're setting expectations you know, we're all agreeing to the same process because people can walk out of a meeting and think we've agreed something. Unless you've got it all down and you've done your process map and agreed and signed it off, then it's much clearer and, you, you know, you don't have um, people disappointed afterwards because they're not getting a feature that they, they were looking for. So, you know, a lot, a lot of those uh, tools were in place, but also adapted and processes were put in place. And even from our own perspective, um, our, our ICT department helped us to put a ticketing system in place to make sure that as sites were onboarded, that if there was any issue, this was logged, captured, 
then we were able to report on all of that as well. So we really, you know, we were designing while the plane was flying and putting processes and structures in place as required. Yeah, it's very important as well to mention, um, I suppose, as you said, that it wasn't just GS1, that there was a really good independent um, project manager put in place. And yeah, to add to that as well, just internally, just um, a tool that we've started using um, across all our software development processes is DevOps and using, you know, that kind of task boards to kind of keep a track of kind of high level items. And then if we're doing a, say we'll call it a sprint, if we'd capture all our snags in a standardized format as well, um, we have a template for recording those so that we can feed back to the developers then so that they can easily tell us then if something's outstanding or closed off and um, really, as Siobhan said, to keep everything documented. And Yeah, and I suppose between Teams and WebEx, you know, none of this would have been possible. So, if, you know, <laughs> I just don't know how we would have survived. I'm sure you have the same experience. You know, the online collaboration where you can meet, share screens, you know, it just really makes things much easier. Uh, so you briefly touched upon the structure that helped you manage the entire project. So would you say that the same government structure, governance structure uh, helped you facilitate uh, decision making and the transparency of project was established? Where there's so many meetings, you know, and different topics, and you're, sometimes it's hard to keep track of, you know, are we talking about, like, which version are we talking about, the next version, the last version, you know, there's so much going on, and future developments, so having, I suppose, that two-step governance where we had the project team and then the governance team, we were able to, I suppose, discuss everything practically at the project level, and then where we needed a decision, uh, where something was critical, we would then take that to governance and, and get, and that was obviously all the key stakeholders. So the, it also cr- helped create visibility upwards of the project. Project and some of the clinical teams were really interested in what we were doing and they also helped set priorities because sometimes you know you can't do everything at once so you need to decide do we do this or do, do we do that so you know do we release now or do we hold off and build in this extra feature so you know th- that really helped facilitate and, and number one facilitate decision making assistant priorities and also give visibility to the project so yes I think it worked really well. No and I suppose just to add to that just you know the key people from different areas who are involved in that governance team like so from medication safety to ICT they're all represented at the table so. And uh, what were some of the key challenges you encountered when you're implementing this project? <laughs> there were no challenges. No, no everything went perfect. I think yeah. um the main one for me was I suppose due to the pace the kind of the ever-changing parts of the program as well. You know, like staff were, you know, coming in, coming out. Really that kind of training, onboarding piece, it was just really key to really make sure we had our training bedded down and communicate with the sites. We even, um, I know, Siobhan, you might talk more to this, but um, had kind of super users in the pharmacies and as part of the onboarding process some of the pharmacists from other sites are actually visiting the more established sites as well to kind of get a picture before they onboarded I suppose yeah just the the speed and the yeah yeah I think one of the biggest challenges and you know we presented you know early enough last year to a senior group and they asked us how did you do it? I mean, you know, how did you manage to be so agile? And, you know, you'll often talk about agility in, 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 a, in a system. Um, we were a very small team. I mean, at that time, it was literally myself, Amanda, and the developer, Dennis, our, our senior tech, technical um, director of standards. And because we were so small, we could do a lot of things really fast. 
but it also meant there was a huge overhead and burden on, on the three of us. You know, I think Dennis didn't get Christmas in 2020. I think he had one day or a half a day for Christmas. You know, there was a huge amount of time going in. He was working a lot of late nights. And, you know, you step back at one point and think, is this sustainable? And, you, you know, it's a pandemic. You know, we were all locked down. We couldn't go anywhere. So you just we just did our best. We both have, you know, young family, so you're, you're, you're trying to keep the family happy, keep the family fed and dressed, uh, and then make sure that there's no major issues. So as, as, as the system got rolled out to more sites, and if there was a release coming up, a, a new version change, you know, there's always a risk. When you open software, there's always a risk there's going to be a bug that you haven't discovered. So again, we did formalise the processes around testing, but there's only so much testing you can do when you have a very short space of time to test. So that was a risk, and that was definitely a challenge. But I think we, we all worked very well together, and we had really, really great team to work with on the HSE side. And even one of the releases, they, they had an open an open webinar just for sites to dial in if they had an issue to make sure that people weren't left, you know, you know saying, what, what do I do? So, there was, you know, I suppose the fact that the team worked so well together meant it was possible, um, but it was definitely challenging at times and, you know, really, really exhausting and intense. Um. Yeah, no, um, definitely I'd echo that. <laughs> I suppose my, my toddler, well, well now in preschooler, he knows a little bit too much about barcode scanning, I think. Um, so... Yeah. And I suppose the last challenge, and I think that goes back to always, you know, the, the buy-in, you know, um, there was a huge stakeholder group and, and there were times when, you know, you didn't always necessarily have immediate buy-in. But I think because it was a pandemic, everyone rode behind and we, 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 we got, we, we achieved what we wanted to do. But I think in, in a different time, that might have been a little bit harder to sometimes get those decisions through. So any quick tips for us how to handle that sort of pressure? Because we feel some visions are precious, so... Yeah, it's, I suppose it's, it's a combination of setting expectations, not taking on too much and having enough processes in place to check and catch, you know, things because early days, we'd, you know, our developer, he would, he would give us a software and it would be going out the next day. And I mean, you'd be trying to do a test script test, you know, and when like during the night so you know early days it was definitely because it was old there was just so much pressure um, but I think I think you have to you can only sustain that for a short period of time you need to put the processes in place and have the right people there to do the testing and, and, and have the right suppose, tools in terms of test script whatever it is uh, to make sure that you can deliver. And I'd echo that really just the kind of the documentation and keeping a log of everything just really helps in having those processes in place. I know there's a fine balance between kind of over documentation as well but um, I just really do think those processes are key. Uh, so I think we all can agree that that sounds like an amazing project uh, to be involved in. Uh, what were the key learnings and what thoughts could you share with us as the as we embark on our careers? Um, Always think about GS1 standards yeah. when you're designing. <laughs> but um, no. I suppose from kind of a basic level just really to kind of open your ears, listen, like, you know, um, really engage with the client or customer, um, you know, the end user, like, and, you know, you could, you know, it's like the redesigning the wheel kind of a thing, like, and I suppose just, yeah, just really to make sure you have those tools and methodologies in place to manage 
the project manager self and I think as Siobhan said as well really manage expectations communicate always communicate you know things happen if something's going wrong don't stick your head in the sand you know just really like you have to be open and honest with people yeah I think uh, and you know the, the kind of the tools for life you know um it too often, you know, you'll have particularly technical people will, will design something or over-design it and then try and sell that solution. Um, people don't always want that. First of all, it needs to be non-technical. So keep it simple, really simple. Uh, as Matt said, listen is really important as well um, because that's really where you find those opportunities and you also make them very happy because you're, you've shown them you're listening and you're doing something that's going to make their job easier uh, because often, you know, it's obvious to you they should be doing something um, but actually, they need to take baby steps to get there. And you have to bring, that's how you bring people with you, is by taking those baby steps. Um, as as, as Mad said as well, like having, you know, that, that kind of documentation. And what's really important, and I think this, is, this applies to anything you're doing, is following up. You know, if somebody asks you to do something, you know, be known as a person who's reliable will follow up. Because that's really how you deliver on a project, you know, keeping track of what the actions are, following up and always keeping the communication lines open. If there's a problem, people will always understand, but it's how you handle that. Talk to them, explain. Uh, if you made a mistake, that these things happen, but explain it and try to minimise, you know, putting your head in the sand and, and hoping it'll go away will only make it worse. So, you know, hand up, explain and learn from us as well and learn and talk and communicate. Uh, thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. We'll wrap up there. I thank you for listening. The music is Impulse by Ben Prunty from his album Chromatic T-Rex and used with his permission. <laughs>